Welcome back to Avery After Dark. I'm your host, Avery Ross. We're back for another episode. Today, I have a variety for you. Three different cases, all very mysterious. First up, I want to talk to you about a breaking case in St. Louis, Missouri I've been following. One man, two dead fiancés, two unraveling mysteries, families demanding answers. Second up, we have a truly shocking case about a man who disappeared for 27 years. Yeah, you heard me right. 27 years. And when you hear of how this case transpired, you will be shocked, just like I am. And our third case, you already know, I got a majorly spooky ghost story coming your way. Specifically, a hotel room that is so haunted, they had to seal it shut from the public. I just can't get enough of those hauntings where it gets so crazy, they have to take drastic measures. Oh yeah, a little mystery, a little haunting. Today, we got it all. Thanks so much for following along wherever you listen to Avery After Dark. I am so appreciative of you. Tuning in for episodes every week, you are just the best. Has anyone told you that lately? Because you are, my little detective. I also love reading your amazing reviews on Apple Podcasts. And remember, you can get all these episodes ad-free and support the show on the Avery After Dark Patreon. Link in the show notes. Now, it's time. Let's get into today's first case. One man, two dead fiancés. I gotta know your thoughts on this case. A St. Louis doctor died unexpectedly at her fiancé's home a few weeks back, and things took a very strange turn when investigators found out that her fiancé was previously engaged to another woman, who also died while she was with him. 39-year-old Dr. Sarah Sweeney worked as a podiatrist in St. Louis, Missouri, and had been living with her fiancé, 50-year-old Robert Douse Jr., who is a local fire captain in the St. Louis area. Dr. Sarah met Robert while she was working an emergency room shift after she moved to the area and the two began a relationship. Recently, Sweeney had just opened her own podiatry practice, but on January 13th, around 6.40 a.m., Robert called 911 and first responders found Sarah Sweeney deceased inside their suburban home. Her death was only classified as sudden, and at the scene, there were reportedly no obvious signs of trauma. Her mother told Fox News that Sweeney had been diagnosed with mast cell activation syndrome, which can result in severe allergy attacks. This can cause fatal anaphylactic shock. But her mom always said that her daughter, who was a doctor, was very knowledgeable about this syndrome and always kept her EpiPen with her. And law enforcement is waiting for the medical examiner's report. At the time of her death, Sweeney was estranged from her mother and stepfather over their concerns about Robert Douse. And Sarah Sweeney's unexpected death has raised questions about Robert's former fiance, Grace Holland, and her recent death. In 2020, Grace was found in the home she shared with Robert Douse, dead with a fatal gunshot wound to the head. Robert Douse told investigators that his 35-year-old fiance had taken her own life as he watched. The medical examiner's office concluded that Grace died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. But the local police department classified Grace's death as suspicious. And even more startling, 
Dr. Sweeney had recently filed a claim against her former employer, a podiatry clinic, accusing the owner of harassment and discrimination. This case was still pending when she died. It's what's in those court documents that's really illuminating, specifically communications between Dr. Sweeney and a friend of hers who had also worked at the clinic. In these messages, Dr. Sweeney said that Robert Douse was abusive and that he had been a suspect in his previous fiance's death. In March 2022, Sweeney sent a message that read, quote, But guess what, Danielle? I'm homeless. I've had to move in with my boyfriend, the murderer, which has been scary at times. End quote. Now, Robert Douse has not been charged or arrested in either of the deaths, nor has law enforcement named him a suspect and he is still employed as a fire chief. But ultimately, this man has had two fiancés die in his home within four years. What are the odds of that? Grace's family was and still is concerned about how the investigation was conducted, in part because of Robert's position as a captain in a neighboring fire department. Grace Holland's family has filed a wrongful death suit against Robert Dow, saying that they don't believe that Grace took her own life that day saying that Grace was right-handed but was shot in her left temple. We almost always use our dominant hand, so for the family, this just doesn't make sense. Grace's family believes there's more to the story. In the months before Grace's death, Robert supposedly controlled her finances and on multiple occasions threatened to end their relationship, telling Grace to terminate a pregnancy at one point, and on another occasion, a relative overheard Robert telling Grace, quote, my brothers in blue are not going to do anything to me. I've already taken care of that. You're the crazy girlfriend. Text messages obtained as a part of the lawsuit show frequent fighting between the two. And another strange detail. Her family claims that Grace's $20,000 engagement ring, which appeared in the crime scene photos, has mysteriously disappeared. Now, back to Dr. Sweeney. After she started dating Robert... Sweeney's mom said they looked into Robert and sent her news articles about Grace's death. They were concerned. But by November 2021, Sweeney stopped responding to messages from her mom and stepfather. Again, this is all speculation at this point, as Robert Douse hasn't been charged with anything involving either death. But many are wondering, what are the chances of one man having two fiancés, both die so young, in his home? How could this happen? Both families are wanting answers. We'll be right back. You're back with Avery After Dark. Now, today's second mystery. Imagine waking up one day and having no idea who you are. You have no memories. Looking in the mirror, you don't recognize yourself. Everything is blank. Imagine finding out that you've been missing for 27 years. This truly sounds like the plot of a twisted thriller. But this really happened to a man named Benjamin Kyle, who spent decades trying to find out his true identity. This is hands down one of the most mind-blowing, bizarre, mysterious cases in history. One morning around 5 a.m., a Burger King employee in Richmond Hill, Georgia, made a shocking discovery. He was walking into work when he looked over and noticed an unconscious man lying next to a dumpster behind the restaurant. This man was nude and in bad shape. He was sunburned, beaten, bloody, with apparent blunt force trauma to the head, covered in ants. They were surrounding him. He had no possessions, nor any ID on him. He was unconscious, but still alive. This employee immediately called 911, and EMS took this man to a hospital in Savannah, Georgia, 
With no ID, he was referred to in hospital records as Burger King Doe. In the first couple days he got there were really difficult. This man didn't open his eyes or speak. He specifically didn't like to be touched, becoming very aggressive if anyone touched his chest. And doctors found out that this man had no idea who he was. He didn't know his own name. He didn't know how he wound up behind that Burger King, who had hurt him. No idea where he was born, where he grew up, who his family was. He was a stranger to himself. This man had long hair, long beard, and cataracts in his eyes so he could barely see. At one point, he requested a priest come and visit his room. But when the priest got there, he called him a demon and ordered him to leave. With no other way to ID him, police ran his fingerprints, but there were no matches. They looked into missing persons cases in the area, but none matched their Burger King dough. Doctors believe this man had identity loss due to dissociative amnesia, a type of temporary amnesia. In the following months, he stayed at the hospital, nurses and doctors trying to help him recover his memories. And eventually he was moved to a shelter and said that he thought his name was maybe Benjamin, spelled with two A's, but said he couldn't remember his last name and came up with the name Kyle. And from that point on, he was known as Benjamin Kyle, close to what doctors first called him, BK. Now, these fugue states can last from hours to days to months and sometimes even years. And from just looking at them, the person in the fugue state can look completely normal. You pass them along the street just like they're anyone else. It's quite scary. And for Benjamin, this type of diagnosis is scary enough when you have family and friends around that can help you try and recover your memories to help fill in the gaps. But Benjamin was completely alone in a place he didn't recognize. The nurses at the shelter really took to Benjamin. They said he was high functioning and really enjoyed trying to help him regain his memories. And over time, some memories did start to come back to him. Benjamin had vague snippets of really random memories, like eating grilled cheese at an Indiana State Fair as a kid. He remembered he lived in Colorado at one point, really liking a certain restaurant in the area and hating another. Many of his memories he said he couldn't describe in words, and others were so close they were at the tip of his tongue, which had to be maddening. But it's so mysterious the things that Benjamin did remember. Places, foods, but not so much people. Over time, Benjamin became an employee at the shelter, cleaning and doing odd jobs. And he finally got surgery for his cataracts. He could see. But when he saw himself in the mirror for the first time, he was absolutely shocked. Benjamin thought that he was in his 20s or 30s when really he was in his 60s. So he didn't even know what age he was. One nurse at the shelter named Catherine took a particular interest in his case, reaching out to the FBI to get him on a missing persons list. Benjamin was the only person that had his whereabouts known, as he was missing but also not missing. Kind of. This nurse even got Benjamin's story into the media. He even appeared on an episode of Dr. Phil hoping that he had family out there somewhere that would recognize him and could help him. But sadly, no one came forward to claim Benjamin. Where was this man's family? Friends? Anybody? So heartbreaking, because I think the only hope you may have in this type of situation would be, hey, if I get my face out there, someone will have to claim me, right? But not in Benjamin's case. Over the years, Benjamin also wasn't able to obtain secure employment as he couldn't remember his full social security number. 
So he would work handyman jobs and stayed with that nurse for a while, but Catherine said over time she didn't feel like Benjamin really wanted to find his true identity. She felt like he just liked the attention, ultimately asking him to leave. From there, Benjamin went to Jacksonville, Florida, but was turned away from a shelter as he didn't have a valid ID. At this point, Benjamin didn't have anywhere to go. He began living in a tent behind the police station as he couldn't get a job, couldn't make money, and didn't have a place to stay. Several petitions were created asking lawmakers to help him, one even reaching whitehouse.gov, but without his social security number, they're like, can't help you. Benjamin continuing the years not knowing who he was. Some local authorities tried to help sending DNA samples to the FBI National Criminal Justice Information Division, but there were no hits either. A man named John Wickstrom ended up making a documentary about Benjamin's case called Finding Benjamin, which played at the Tribeca Film Festival. From the publicity from this documentary, a local restaurant owner named Josh Strutt, who owned a fish restaurant, gave Benjamin a job and place to stay. A number of people who specialized in genealogy tried to help Benjamin, but this took time. One genealogist said that he inexplicably cut ties with her, saying that it didn't seem like he wanted to find his real identity. But for Benjamin, he stated he didn't have a deep need to find out who he was because he just didn't have any memories from that life. And also, his family didn't seem to want to find him either. Finally, a genealogist named Cece Moore took on Benjamin's case, did some detective work, and finally in 2015, Benjamin Kyle announced that through DNA testing and genealogy, he had discovered his real name and true identity. He was actually William Burgess Powell, born in 1948, from Indiana. He had two remaining brothers from his family. And you may be wondering, well, what about these brothers? Why weren't they looking for him? They did when he went missing in 1976. Furman Powell Jr., William's brother, said that William was their mom's favorite growing up, but their father had PTSD from serving in the war. He was a drinker and supposedly took his rage out on William. William lived with a family friend to escape his dad, later moving to a trailer home. Then one night in 1976, William failed to show up for a family dinner and they never saw him again. William's brothers search for him, police finding his car down the river a few miles near a dam, so they feared the worst. Police later tracked him down to Colorado, where William worked in a restaurant. But after multiple attempts from his brothers, with no response, they eventually began to believe that William passed away. They didn't know where he went, but hadn't heard from him. Records showed that William used his social security number for employment in Colorado until 1983. But then, it stopped. William became a ghost. As far as his public record showed, he vanished. Doctors believe it was around this point he entered a fugue state. Involuntary eraser of identity. Those suffering will take on new identities and new names, and they will often just pick up and leave. Traveling on long journeys, they move around a lot. Just like in TV and movies, like Breaking Bad, some people believe they're faking this and using this quote-unquote fugue state to get out of a situation they don't want to be in or flee. But there are many, many cases of this being very real. People vanishing without a trace. Those disappearances where it looks like someone just got up and walked out their front door, never to be seen again. 
From 1983 to 2004, Williams' movements and whereabouts is a complete mystery to everyone, including William. Imagine having decades of your life completely missing, and so many questions remain. How did he end up behind that Burger King? Who beat him up? Benjamin, rather William, found out his true identity. But this case is still shrouded in so much mystery. And finally, only after locating his social security number, William finally received public assistance. Most recent reports say that William moved back to Indiana, finally coming home after decades. There's so much we don't know and understand about the human brain. It's a mystery. And it's crazy to think about because I'm thinking about my brain right now. And I'm like, I don't know everything about you, brain. And my brain's like, no, you don't. That's crazy. We'll be right back. You're back with Avery After Dark. Now it's time for us to pack up our suitcases and head down to the Southwest for our third story. This hotel room is so haunted they had to seal it shut. The St. James Hotel in Cimarron, New Mexico once hosted Wild West legends like Jesse James, Annie Oakley, and Buffalo Bill. It had good food, comfortable beds, and dancing girls. But today, it's one of the most haunted spots in the entire state. After opening in 1872, the St. James Hotel quickly became known for its violence. So much so that a common question asked was, so, who was killed at the St. James last night? And as those Wild West days faded into memory, the hotel fell into disrepair until 1985 when Ed Sitzberger and his wife, Pat, bought the St. James. They hoped to bring the historic hotel back up to date. Doing some renovations on the place, they were really excited. But it didn't take long for the couple to realize there was something very different about the St. James. It seemed to come alive. The couple found that lights would turn on by themselves. They'd hear and see strange things. Now, they didn't believe in ghosts when they first bought the place but they quickly became believers. Room 18 is especially chilling. Staff keeps this room locked, padlocked actually, because of one ghost, Thomas James Wright, also known as TJ, an unhappy spirit. He was killed at the hotel decades before and his final moments were spent in room 18. Story goes TJ, along with a group of men, sat down one night for a game of poker. This game was a long one, and apparently, the hotel itself was at stake. After TJ won the hotel, he walked back down the hallway towards his room and was shot. He then crawled back into room 18 and died minutes later. Per hotel records, in 1881, a TJ Wright was registered to stay at the St. James for three days, and it's believed that his ghost has stayed at the hotel since those painful final moments, still believing that the hotel is rightfully his. He won it in the poker game. His spirit is very aggressive, and he doesn't like when people enter room 18. People rarely ever enter the room, and no one ever sleeps in it. TJ's angry ghost does not like company, in the past, he has attacked people, physically pushing them down on the bed and floor. And many people just generally feel really unsafe in the room, a very hostile type energy. One of the owners, Pat, said that every time she entered room 18, she felt so uneasy. 
negative, and on one occasion witnessed a glowing, swirling ball of light in the corner of the room. This white swirl emitted a feeling of anger and hatred. And she wasn't the only one to see this. A man named Kenneth Wright, who was a medical doctor, a surgeon actually, was in the room when this happened, and he too said it was unlike anything he had ever witnessed, saying it terrified him so badly he felt like he couldn't breathe. He was gasping for air. And this was a doctor. Pat said this presence felt cold, negative, and like it was from the past, many believing this was TJ, warning them that this was his room. In hopes to appease the spirit, Ed and Pat didn't do any work or construction on room 18. They left it as is, saying that is TJ's room as far as they were concerned. Employees at the hotel consider it to be the most active, hence the padlock. But it isn't just room 18. The owners say the entire hotel is haunted. Room 17, right next to room 18, is also known to be a paranormal hotspot. Numerous guests report hearing strange tapping noises on the window as they sleep at night. And according to these guests, it's not just a couple taps. It's like going on for hours. Tap, 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 tap. And in the kitchen, cooks witness all types of activity firsthand. Cups, glasses, plates moving on their own. But one of the most terrifying accounts comes from a man by the name of Charlie Varela. Charlie worked at the St. James Hotel, and one May morning in 1988, he had come into work alone around 5 a.m. and was cleaning the bar area. Doing some vacuuming, he thought that he was in the room alone. But as he turned around to grab some trash bags, he looked up, and sitting on top of the wooden bar was a young boy spinning a glass. The child had his back to Charlie, and at first, he thought this must be a kid who had come down from upstairs and was just playing around. Charlie was about to tell him, hey, you can't be down here, you need to go back upstairs to your parents. When the little boy quickly turned around and Charlie saw that he was not living, he said his face was hideous, markings all over it. The little boy quickly jumped off the bar, and Charlie was so scared he took off running. Charlie did not feel that this was a friendly spirit, and that morning, he quit. I love that energy from Charlie. You know, he's not gonna... He's not messing around with that. I respect that. He said this scared him so bad he didn't want to work at the hotel anymore. But this hotel is on my must-visit list, as I believe it is haunted by the ghosts of the old Wild West. Do you think you could last a night there? I don't think I could do room 17. A tapping would get annoying. I can't sleep with someone snoring next to me, so I don't think I'd do very well with tapping. But what about you? That does it for today's episode. Thanks so much for joining me. I hope you have a great rest of your day. I can't wait for next episode. Break out your nightlights, everyone, because I have another spine chiller coming your way. Until then, I'm Avery Ross, and this is Avery After Dark. <laughs>